briefly stand for the reading of God's word found in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal, strip I, sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop, stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be back. As I was sharing during the praise time, we had an opportunity to go visit my son, Adam, uh, Andrew and Jonathan, and Sandra and I drove down to Georgia. And one of the things that was really exciting about it was not just seeing Adam, but because he had been gone for six months, and as he was in basic training, he was many times not allowed to use his phone to contact us. So we had to rely upon letters. We had to write him the good old-fashioned way, pen and paper. And so we had sent many letters to him, and he had sent a few back to us. And in that correspondence, he shared with us some of his experiences, but not only that, some of the friends that he had made down there. And so it was really exciting to finally go down there and be introduced to his friends. That was the purpose of the letter. The letters served as kind of a little introduction. He described some of the characteristics of some of these individuals with their names. And then when we were down there for graduation, we got to meet Lancaster. We got to meet Gonzalez, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's what he gave us. He just called because everybody gets called by a last name. But I want to introduce to you the, the topic for today, and that is the purpose of the Gospels and the purpose of the messenger. And so I want to invite you to pause with me as we pray and uh, get into God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word. As the special music reminded us, the sound of your coming is it's in the air. There's people throughout the world who sense that something is happening. But Father, I pray that we as a people of God would come to understand what our responsibility is and what is what we're called to do at this time in earth's history yes we're called to be fishers of men but as solomon prayed we don't know how to go out or how to even come in and so we need from you divine wisdom we need from you the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. It's my prayer that you would bless us now as we open your word and we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the purpose of the Gospels is to introduce you and me 
to the life, the ministry, and the message of Jesus Christ. There's four Gospels that are in the New Testament and written by four different authors, but their intent is all the same. It's to introduce us to one person and one person only, the person of Jesus Christ, to show us what he is like, to show us who he is, to show us what he has come to do for us. But the purpose of the Gospels is simply this, to introduce you and me to the life, the ministry, and the message of Jesus Christ. Now, each Gospel writer approaches this subject from their own unique perspective. And it's evident if you just sample just a few passages of Scripture. For example, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it goes on with a genealogy of Jesus, starting with Abraham and going all the way up to Jesus. Matthew's gospel starts with a genealogy. But then we have Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel, our scripture reading for today that Fred had read to us just moments ago, is, starts off with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But the first time we actually meet Jesus in Mark's gospel, it's this very brief passage of scripture, what we would categorize as verses 9, 10, and 11, and it's his baptism. And then from there, Mark begins moving on through the progression of the story of Jesus Christ and how he introduces him. And then there's Luke. Luke introduces us to Jesus by the, uh, what we would call the conception of Jesus. The angel Gabriel visiting Mary and describing how she will be the mother of the Lord. And then, of course, there is John's gospel. John introduces us to the divinity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Each gospel writer, aside from their own unique perspective of introducing us to Jesus, each gospel writer also includes stories and teachings to stress a certain truth or a quality about Jesus that they are trying to underscore and how the Holy Spirit helped them to compose the gospel record. So each gospel writer includes stories and teachings to emphasize a certain truth. For example, Luke is the only gospel writer of the four who tells us about the childhood of Jesus. Although he doesn't say much, the fact is, is that he says something. And that's important because Luke wants us to know that, that Jesus did have a childhood. And then, of course, all four gospel writers zero in at the end of their gospel about the trial, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the Great Commission. All four gospel writers include that in their message. And then, of course, each gospel writer wrote with a specific audience in mind. For example, <clears throat> Matthew writes for a Jewish audience. As I said, when he begins, 
he begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. He introduces that genealogy to show his Jewish audience that uh, Jesus himself is a son of Abraham, a child of God. In addition, for what Matthew does for his Jewish audience is he selects many Old Testament passages and shows how the life and the ministry of Jesus were met in their fulfillment in these Old Testament prophecies. And then we have John. John writes for a different audience, and we can see the evidence of it in uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, I often, when I first was searching my faith out and trying to find out what I believed and started exploring uh, Christianity, I was told, and I'd heard this told to many other people, if you've never read the Bible before and you want to read, start with the Gospel of John. And the reason people recommend that is because the idea of belief is so prevalent throughout John's gospel. And see, we have just these, just in these short two verses, evidences of that right here. John says throughout his gospel, do you believe? He quotes Jesus, do you believe? Do you believe? The idea is that John's gospel was written for an audience that would come after the apostolic generation would go to their rest. And so what we have here is we have the, um, the gospel that is written with many people in mind by multiple different authors. And the purpose of the gospels is to teach us about the life, the ministry, and the message of Jesus. And when we read the gospels, we wonder about the miracle of his birth. We learn about the life-changing truth of his teachings. We're humbled when we ponder his death. And yes, we experience joy when we read about his resurrection from the dead. And then, of course, we gain hope through the promise of his return. But is that all? Is that all there is? Does our scripture reading have anything else to say to us? Well, there's a purpose in the message, the gospel. It teaches us about the life, the ministry, and the message of Jesus. But there's also a purpose in the messenger. What do I mean by that? Well, our scripture reading was Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David. But then it goes on to say this in verses 2 and 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, 
make his path straight. And while the Gospel of Mark begins with this very terse introduction, what follows immediately afterwards is a combination of two Old Testament passages. Let me explain here. The first part of this, what Mark does is he combines these two verses. One is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and the second one is from Isaiah. But I'd like to start with the first part of the verse, the one that is taken from Malachi. And he says this, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And I highlighted the word prepare. It comes from a Greek word. That's what the New Testament was written in. And it means to prepare, to put in readiness, to construct, or to form, or to build. And what the word was used for in Greek literature was to describe the work of those who would go before the king and prepare the road to make their pathway smooth for their carriage. They would go out and repair the potholes, so to speak, or remove the rocks that were large and had fallen from the, the road in the way. And so the idea is that John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way before the Lord. Notice how it words it. Behold, I, this is God, send my messenger, God's messenger, before your face, before the Lord's face, or before Jesus would come, who will prepare your way before you? So God is going to send a specific messenger who will prepare the way before the Lord would come. That was John the Baptist. Well, the other passage is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Isaiah is known as the gospel prophet. It also uses a Greek word for the word prepare. And that word is etoyamasate. It's a different word than the word that Malachi uses. But it also means to prepare. But the emphasis that Isaiah is making is not on the work of John, but rather the message that John is to say to God's people. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That was John. And this is his message. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The emphasis from these two passages is on the urgency to prepare the way of the Lord. It's unmistakable. You can't really come away with anything else from these two verses combined. The emphasis is on prepare. John has a responsibility to prepare, and God's people have a responsibility to prepare as well. All four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, inform their audiences that this prophecy met its fulfillment in the ministry of John the Baptist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record the ministry of John, and they're all quite similar. They all quote Isaiah, I believe it's only Mark who quotes Malachi. But they all quote the Old Testament and they show how that Old Testament prophecy met its fulfillment in John's life and ministry. With this in mind, I want us to focus our intention, attention on two main points that Mark highlights 
about John's ministry. So Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preached a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John preached repentance. That was his message. It's what all four gospel writers record for us. It's not like Matthew says, yeah, John preached repentance, but he also talked about this. And it's not like the other three say, no, he only preached about repentance. All four are unified in their capturing the ministry of what John was all about. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Yes, John preached repentance. Repentance means simply to turn around, to make a U-turn. But for someone to make a U-turn, they first need to know their destination. Two weeks ago, we were down in Georgia, and uh, we stayed at a hotel when we went to go visit our son at Fort Benning. And one of the uh, responsibilities that we had, since Adam didn't have a vehicle of his own, was we went there for his turning blue ceremony on Thursday, his graduation was on Friday, but then we uh, made arrangements so that we could take him off base on Sabbath and on Sunday. And I had the responsibility to go pick him up at the base. And I remember, I believe it was Sabbath morning, I went there and I had my GPS on my phone, but it was, uh, I had missed my exit because what they had done was they had blocked off some of the entrances and the exits on the base. They put these big, large uh, cement blocks that you couldn't take the normal exits or entrances that were that Adam was used to and, and uh, that would normally appear as the most convenient route for the, for the GPS. And so there was one particular highway on the base that I was on, I think it was Route 27, and I was on it, and I knew where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Adams Barracks. And of course, I didn't have a paper map. All I had was the little screen on my device and the voice of the GPS telling me, uh, you need to take this exit, but the GPS was not aware of the roadblocks. And so what I had to do was bypass those roadblocks. And then what the GPS was telling me was, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. And I had to look for a place where I could make a U-turn. But the idea was I had to turn around in order to get to my destination. You know, heaven has given us a GPS. It's the Bible, the Word of God. And it's the Bible that will guide us to our destination. And many people, listen, many people think that, well, heaven is our destination. 
I would beg to differ. I would say that Jesus is our destination. Because heaven without Jesus is not going to be heaven. Jesus is the life, the truth, and the resurrection. If it's not for Jesus, we don't have a prayer. Within the pages of Holy Scripture is revealed the character of God and his law, by which all men shall be judged. And in that light, the Bible has some very sobering news for us. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are told by Scripture, the Scriptures inform us, that all of us have fallen short of God's character. And as a consequence, we've all broken God's law at one time or another, and the wages of our sin for breaking God's law is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. So the Bible tells us our true condition. We've fallen short of God's glory, and as a result of breaking God's law, we are all worthy of death. But praise God for the gospel record, amen? Because it's within the pages of the gospel record, in particular, John's gospel, that highlights the ministry of John the Baptist, that points us to the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The question for each and every one of us in this room, as well as for those who are watching on YouTube, do you want your sins taken away by the Lamb of God? I know I do. I want my sins taken away by the Lamb of God. The Bible has good news. John didn't leave his audience in despair. Repent, repent, repent. He told them about Jesus, the Lamb of God. It was John who informs us in his gospel. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John not only called his audience to repentance, though, he also told them about a promise that God had made to his people. The second point of John's ministry is that he prophesied about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because we are powerless without the Holy Spirit. No one is convicted of their sin without the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to John. 
John records this, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. But now I go away, Jesus said, to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. No one is convicted of their sin without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our comforter because, yes, they will, he will convict us of our sin, but he will show us our need for a Savior because no one sees their need for a Savior without the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 39. This is the conclusion of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And it says, Luke writes for us, records for us, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now the audience, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard the message. They heard and they were convicted that they had participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. That was their sin. They were guilty. Now what were they to do? Here's what Peter said. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Peter pointed them to the Savior. But no one can see their need for a Savior without the power of the Holy Spirit. And no one can follow in the steps of Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Peter is again preaching how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Yes, Jesus was God in human flesh. The incarnation is what we call it. But he was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, and he sought that fresh daily outpouring of God's Spirit in prayer daily. And as a result of that, he was able to do good and heal those who were oppressed by the devil. And the reason was simple, simply this. God was with him. The question for us today is, do you want God with you? Do you want God with you? And the way to have God with us is not to, uh, you know, put him in our pocket or, or, you know, keep him in a card on our wallet. It's to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God will go with us. 
question is, are we wanting to go with God? And are we wanting to go with God where He wants us to go? Because God wants to send us out. Just like He sent out the disciples. He wants to send us out to be fishers of men. If there is a prophetic message sent by God calling us to repentance and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in preparation for the first advent of Jesus, does it stand to reason that to prepare for his second coming that we ought to do the same? In other words, what we have in the gospel record for God's people to prepare for the first advent is that a messenger went forth calling for God's people to repent and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And since Jesus promised to come a second time, if it was good to follow that pattern the first time, wouldn't it be wise to follow that same pattern the second time? to repent and to ask for that baptism of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of God's message and his messenger is to share the life, ministry, and message of Jesus. But to do that, we need to consider what God's message has to share to us and to listen to the Spirit speaking to us and to repent of what God convicts us of and to pray for God's Holy Spirit and then to walk with His power daily. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for the decisions made here today that through the reasoning of the scriptures, reasoning with the scriptures, we can see our need. We're a poor people, Lord. We're in a Laodicean condition, but we can overcome with your blessing. It's my prayer that through the ears that have heard this message, that we would repent. We would have that change of heart, that turning of the mind. And we pray not just for those gathered in this building, but for those who are watching. We ask that they too would desire the outpouring of God's Spirit to convict them of sin, to show them Jesus, and to walk in his power. We thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.